Welcome to the family with co-host uh, turn on give time and turn on there the we mic. go well now it's Catherine my job to turn on. okay wait a minute let's start over again so Catherine doesn't look like a fool <laughs> wow such a guy welcome to the family with co-host Catherine Brandt <laughs> and Andy Bernard ay, 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 again again Mark Powerline promoting the book the dumbest generation grows up from stupefied youth to dangerous adults I love the title I haven't looked at the body of the copy yet. Uh, I just want to be surprised. Mark is with us up next with the family. Tommy, I never believed it until now, but apparently you're a pretty big deal. Was there ever a question in your mind? Well, you might say I was a doubting Thomas. See what I did there? Yes, how incredibly clever. Anyway, what's your point? Well, last month I was trying to find you a car to replace the Mafia Mobile and suggested leasing a Nissan Altima as it was impossible to find your first choice. I love that Altima, and I'm actually looking forward to checking out the all-wheel drive as soon as it's known. Well, apparently someone at Nissan was listening to us, and at this month, at Coon Rapids Nissan and Burnsville Nissan, we can offer short-term 18-month leases. That's actually pretty smart. By then, the chip shortage will be over, right? Man, I hope so. The only chip shortage I want to hear about is Bilski dumping one into the bunker. By the way, for the first time ever, Coon Rapids Nissan was number one in the state, and Burnsville was number two. Your Altima was actually one of the cars that put J-Lo on top. To learn more about short-term leasing, stop into Burnsville Nissan or Coon Rapids Nissan. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who've been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if i'm hanging out with you uh, maybe <laughs> uh, okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant Hey folks, Brian Zepp here. Spring is gearing up, and if you're like me, you've already got the itch to hit the road. Make sure you and your motorcycle are ready with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, Metric Cruiser, or Sport Bike, you'll find what you need at DennisKirk.com. They've got 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets too. Order before 8 p.m. and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Get in gear and head to DennisKirk.com. Take it from Zepp. They ship today. Now we're rocking out, baby. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. A couple of things I want to mention. Uh, number one being that Doug Sprinthal will be back on this show on Thursday. He's coming back into town, uh, I believe, sometime today. Uh, his father's funeral is not going to be until, uh, until the spring. Oh. Which, you know, be about a month from now, something like that? Yeah, that's what uh, Melissa's doing with her grandpa. He's uh, not getting a funeral till the spring. Yep, that's what they're doing. So, uh, yeah, Doug Sprinthal will be on the KQ Morning Show tomorrow, and he'll be on this show on Thursday, as usual. Again, the whole family is uh, 
You're, you guys are all big fans of Doug Sprinthal, correct? Yes, he's a great guy. He's just a great guy. I mean, he's a much nicer guy than Bilski. Yeah. I love how we all pick on Bilski. Isn't it great? Bilski. I even got Michael Bryant doing it. I got Doug Sprinthal doing it. Everybody's picking on Bilski. It's wonderful. Bilski. In any case, yeah, all the best. Uh, safe flight, Doug, and we're looking forward to talking to you again, man. Is Mr. Bowerline ready to go? I am, yes, sir. Mark, how are you today? I'm okay. I'm okay. It's, it's it's sunny out, but I am looking up the river, and I can see the U.S. Capitol. I'm wondering what the heck they're doing inside there now. <laughs> Mark, are you being a wise guy? Moi? <laughs> Moi? Mark, I will tell you what. Did you name this book? You know, I named the first book, and I actually did name this one, too. Yeah, yeah. I knew it. One of the greatest names of a book ever. The dumbest generation grows up from stupefied youth to dangerous adults. I just want to sit back and, and you know, just wallow in the glory of the Mark, Mark Bauer line, uh, the, the, the sun rays coming from your book. That's all I have to say. I love the way you put that. It's a great title. Well, you know, you, you, you hit them hard because so many of the mentors that were my colleagues were just so soft on them. You know, let the kids take ownership of their education. They're doing amazing. I was in a meeting once that, you know, can we really impose spelling standards on the kids when they're doing such inventive things on their own online? Oh, that's why I wrote the book. Mark, honestly, you're my kind of guy. I, I just can't stand it anymore. Nobody has to make an effort anymore. You just have to be you, and that's enough for people. What the hell you is be that? You, that's right. Well, yeah, well this you is be what you. they tell Kamala Harris. You know, Kamala, you don't have to oh, study. God. You don't have to learn things. You don't have to do your homework. <laughs> you just be you, Kamala, and everyone was like, wow, she's amazing. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. Well, they're hitting a wall, aren't they? They are hitting a wall, ladies and gentlemen. Back in 2008, Mark Bauerlein was a voice crying in the wilderness as experts greeted the new generation of digital natives with extravagant hopes for their high-tech future. He pegged them as the dumbest generation. Today, their future doesn't look so bright, and their present uh, is pretty grim. What's it all about? Now, first of all, i got to tell you something, Mark. No matter where I go, no matter what I do, people are dumber than they've ever been in my lifetime and i'm 70 years old so that's not a good thing look you know they 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 want to complain about us we're just a bunch of old fogies and the world has changed you can't get rid of it and all you can say is get off my lawn well the fact is <laughs> that the data is very clear do you know that the sat added a writing component in 2006 to the exam now, kids were said, oh, they're writing so much online now. They're doing great things on Wiki, Wikipedia. They're chatting and texting. They are going to be the best writing generation in American history. Oh. Well, the SAT added that in 2006. Scores went down every year for the next 10 years, except two years when they were flat, until the SAT just scrapped the requirement because it was getting too embarrassing. We, we, can't, we can't do this. Uh, reading scores on the SAT and the ACT are significantly down in the last 10 years at the very time when cell phones have been creeping down the age ladder. So, sorry, you guys, the evidence is in. 
Uh, the U.S. history scores, they aren't any better. You know, nothing has gotten better. Civic scores were down. Uh, and, and so, you know, look, you're wrong. These tools in the hands of the kids have been a disaster, a disaster mm-hmm. for them. The screen time is a disaster. And we saw what happened with the pandemic. We put them in a room and we said, don't go outside. Don't play. We're going to put police tape around the park. Don't even meet <laughs> with your friends. You stay yeah. in a room, get on the screen, do all your work. Oh, uh, th- this is just pushing addiction onto the kids. And the U.S. government just canceled testing last year because they knew it would look so bad. And there were people claiming back in 10, 15 years ago, the web is going to revolutionize education. Right. The screen yep. get going to customize and personalize and individualize. So these kids will be smarter than ever before. They do have the universe of knowledge at their fingertips. And my response was, well, yeah, they got it at their fingertips, and they're taking 20 selfies a day. That's what they're doing. with yep. They're walking around with 250 photos of themselves in their pockets. This is a horrible thing to do to teenagers. You know, it sounds like, without the dumbest generation title, that we're trashing the young Look, we did this to them. We let Silicon Valley give it, put, put our kids under a tidal wave. And the Silicon Valley Titans made billions off of all this stuff. They hired experts in addiction and attention to help them design the Really? Tools. And then I, I talk about that. this in the new book. In the new book. Yeah, exactly. They hired psychologists. And, and because they wanted to get, how do we get that dopamine thing going? The way you do with, with, with drugs. Jesus. And by the way, the Silicon Valley Titans, they don't let their own kids on these screens. I talk about this in the book. Steve Jobs famously didn't let his kids do screen time at home. The popular schools in Silicon Valley with, with, the, with the, the rich guys are the Waldorf schools and other schools that are very low tech they know what these tools do to our our kids brains and they made a mint off of it and they had all these cheerleaders among the academics and the intellectuals in wired magazine in the 90s who you know accused us of saying oh look look at the old chicken littles look at the reactionaries right look at the old fuddy duddies and these were my colleagues in the humanities and school teachers across the country who said, you're, you're criticizing the young. Stop criticizing the kids for their choices. Let them take ownership, as I said before. Take ownership of their own education. We need child-centered learning. We don't need the sage on the stage anymore. We need the guide on the side. Or, actually, when they have all their laptops on, the new thing now was the peer in the rear. That, that, that's the classroom. <laughs> One of the little jingles that they were putting at that point and and so now we're seeing the results these, these millennials they were 15 years old in their bedroom when they were uh back in 2006 7 8 social media was taking off they they were they could go in their room shut the door they got the tv going they got the music playing they've got the game the game video game going they have the laptop open and the phone and they're texting and they created this little bubble world of adolescence, youth world. And the thing is, this youth world could be all affirming for them. 
if they're on Facebook and they've got 200 friends on Facebook, um, what if someone says something that they don't like? Boom, 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 unfriend. A yeah. text comes in, yep. you don't like it, block it. In other words, Tom, they've been canceling since age 15. Cancel culture is old hat to them. They, they, they've been doing this since they formed themselves as young adults. In those years when your civic sense is developing, they had the tools to shut out from their reality the disagreeable, the contrary, the wrong opinion. And so what they've done now, they're 33 years old, they brought those mores of affirmation from the bedroom into the workplace, into the college campus, into the public square. So those young editors at Penguin who heard about Jordan Peterson's new book, they marched into the older editor's offices with tears in their eyes, saying, no, you can't publish this book. This is awful. This is so offensive. Well, that's what they were coached to be. That's what they were conditioned to think from these tools where they could fabricate. Remember the term in 2010, the daily me. I can go into my room and I can create this me, me, me universe. The original motto of YouTube was broadcast yourself. And now we wonder why they're 33 years old and they're narcissists. And they're disappointed narcissists because it's just not working out. Why don't those coworkers who were 50 years old care about what happened to me over the weekend? (laughs) So we set up these terrible expectations for them, and we didn't give them an education in Western civilization, in great novels and plays, disappointments like death of a salesman. Things don't always work out, you guys. You can't live the rest of your life as you're in that TV show Friends from the 90s. It's not the way life really works. We didn't give them great music. We didn't give them good movies. We didn't give them a country of which they could be proud. We said, this is a shameful country. And right. systemic racism right. is still everywhere today. We didn't give them God. A whole lot of them are nuns, as they're called. They might have some spiritual sense of things, but no religion, no regular practice, no, 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 you know, consistent ritual. And that's important to maintain. We didn't give them good neighborhoods, you know, good public spaces, good TV shows. And so here they are. The ordinary tribulations of adulthood hit them, and they don't have the equipment to deal with it. As parents, how could you have had the foresight to see what would happen with all of this, uh, with with social media? I mean, it was a brand new thing. And the hype was so strong. Remember, Mm -hmm. all the Facebook was really a cool thing, and everyone wanted to buy stock. You know, when Facebook went public, big deal. Google was taken as the brand. It was the most respected brand in a survey from the early 2010s. There was a lot of cachet attached to these. This is the 21st century. We, we, we don't need books anymore. We, we've, got, we've got e-books and screens. Yeah. We don't need to memorize the Gettysburg Address. We can always look it up. 
Who cares? Yeah, so, true. That's very true. That, and, <clears throat> and everyone was told this. We all believed. And again, a lot of money was being made in these spaces. And so I think a lot of parents saw the problem pretty early on. But, you know, the kids on their phones, all my friends have one. Why are you depriving me of this? This is child abuse. <laughs> that was the uh, that was the conception, and a lot of parents bought into it because I need to know my child is safe. Right. They actually mm-hmm. bought the safety argument, and of course, you know the safetyism is so out of control in in our country. I mean, to think of what we did as kids. How many times, you know, I, I almost got really hurt very badly. Riding my bike with no, you know, with no helmet on, plowing into, you know, a tree. <laughs> oh, no, a the, tree. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> these things have become a lot of the ordinary risks have become frightening to people. I mean, we're, we're putting kids in masks for the last two years. This is an awful message for them to hear. The world is a very dangerous place. Oh, God. We must yeah. all cover yeah. ourselves up. And it's very important for little kids in particular to see whole faces. They're learning about people. Right. And they're learning that silent language that we all have with our facial expressions, our smile, grimaces, you know, frowning. They're learning how to read people and get a sense of themselves as well, how people respond to them. And they've been spending two years. If you're six years old, one third of your life has been spent only seeing people's eyes. This, this mm, is, yeah. this is terrible for their emotional and social development. It's going to be reverberating for a long time. I think one thing I think is very interesting about the point you made about the uh, basically making your own safety bubble on the Internet. So I'm 35 years old, which puts me pretty much in the middle of the demographic you're talking about in your book. That, that, that's it. Interviews over. Canceled. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to go that way. I'm actually agreeing with you, surprisingly. Um, the, the interesting thing, I think, is that the Internet that I grew up with uh, consisted of things like uh, forums, um, internet messengers like AIM, that kind of thing, uh, 4chan, places where if you weren't careful, you could see some very unpleasant things, potentially illegal things. So how is it that I grew up with an internet that was like the Wild West, arguably not regulated enough, or at least not safe for children in any way whatsoever, and other people my age grew up with this sanitized internet where everything was covered in Nerf and you weren't allowed to uh, hurt yourself. You know, you guys, I, I think of you guys by age 15. Young people today, by age 15, is there anything you haven't seen I mean, a- any any human right. act that is true, violent or such. You've seen. I mean, look. When I was fifteen in nineteen seventy-five, if 
you know, some guy's father had a Playboy magazine. Boy, how tame this Playboy magazine is. We would open it up, and our, our hands would start quivering. Oh, oh my God. Oh. And now, that's nothing. You know, it's, it's just amazing. Now, I think that what we want to be clear on with the millennials is, Look, the top 10, 15% of the millennials, they were super kids. They were amazing. Motivated, piling up all those AP courses. There weren't even any AP courses in my high school. It didn't exist. Mm -mm. They're competing ferociously for those top colleges. I went to UCLA. I had a B average in high school, a B average. If if UCLA saw a kid apply today with a 3.0 GPA, They'd start laughing. You know, they make paper airplanes out of my application in the right. <clears throat> in the admissions office. So then they build up these resumes. They do the internships there, and they would get online, and they would do some of the more interesting stuff. They would use it <coughs> in conscientious ways. But you get out of that top ten or fifteen percent, and things plummeted rapidly. It's sort of the, the division of the elite now and everyone else. It is. You know, the middle class is disappearing. It's really getting hard to live a middle class life right? <laughs> in the same way that we have not sort of a middle group of students, young people, who are doing okay, you know, pretty well. And then you got the super ones, and then you got that small percentage of total failures. <laughs> no, boy, 50% now. They, they, the kids are just not learning anything. They're not learning anything in school. And it's almost as if the schools have given up on that lower half and re- ready, ready to be you know, led by that elite crew who are going to be the judges and the lawyers. They're going to be the politicians, and, you know, the top politicians. They're, they're going to be the oligarchs. In, in America. And, you know, we know that democracy doesn't work this way. we got to have more mingling with, the, with, with everyone together. we got to have a common civic life, not, not this, uh, this division that we have increasingly so today. Um, and so to get, to get back, back to your question, I think that uh, you were part of the more conscientious group. That's why you're on this show. You're, 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 you're different. Genius from, is mm-hmm. only here. You're, you're average. <laughs> you're, you know, and again, you know, people say, what do I do? I said, well, look, just read to your child at night. Have intelligent conversations. Watch intelligent TV. Watch, listen to intelligent radio in the car. And the worst, all your millennial buddies and Gen Z art, the better you will look. Your teachers will love you if you just ask an intelligent question in class. You're a star. Your bosses will love you if you show up five minutes early instead of stumbling in 20 minutes late with your eyes glued to that little screen on the phone. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take much, really, to, to come off as superior, superior youth today because, uh, again, things are slipping. So much in the dangerous part in this new book, from stupefied youth to dangerous adults, is 
what I said about this transfer of the, be- the, the universal affirmation of the bedroom into the public sphere. So they're happy to sign a petition with 2,000 other people to get a stranger fired for doing a dumb sexist joke on, right. on, on Twitter or something. I mean, remember a couple of years ago when one of my examples is the guy who won the Hoseman, Heisman Trophy for Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma, I think it was in 2018. On the day of the ceremony, a millennial journalist, I think at USA Today, a sports journalist, went back, traced back this guy's tweets, found a few tweets he'd done at age 15. Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember Six God. years earlier, remember oh, this? Mm-hmm. Because he'd called a couple guys queer. That was the word. He said, that is so queer. You guys are so queer. That was it. You're taking this the, the greatest moment of this guy's life, to, and you are turning this day into an embarrassment for him. He had to apologize. He went to the mic. I'm sorry if I offended it. Did the whole apology tour. The poor, I mean, I don't blame him for that. But this is the dangerous part. This just poisons the public space. The cancel culture is led by the young in America today. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are most on board with it. And they're the most scared of it as well. So this, this is where they're dangerous. They become illiberal creatures. They don't believe in the First Amendment. The First Amendment is a problem for them. They are expanding ever more forms of speech into hate speech, and they want to criminalize it. And they have a punitive sense of their fellow citizens. If they see a microaggression, a microaggression, you got to be punished. That yeah. villain yeah. must pay. So there, yep. there's a vindictive spirit, a sour mood among these these kids now. And we know, you know, you, utopia that that bedroom was utopian, and they're little utopians. Why can't everyone just be happy? You know, love is love, and on and on. And that's not the way the world works. And a disappointed utopian is, is a dangerous creature because he always has an explanation for why the world hasn't turned out. It's because we got some bad people out there, and we just got to get rid of the bad people, and then we'll get the society <laughs> mm-hmm. we deserve. And who gets to be the judge of who bad people yeah, are? That's, that's what I love. Well, the other thing well, is, is what, how, how, are, how is anything going to change? Because social media is here to stay. Yeah, I don't know. I think that the younger, younger generations, Gen Z and on, uh, I think that they're going to see that, what, 90% probably at least of these cancelings happen because someone dug into a Twitter account or a Facebook account, and they're going to grow up and they're just going to say, why would I have one of these accounts? Why would I make a dossier on my own wrongdoings? Right, right. We do have to take a break and be right back. Mark, can you stay with us for, for another 10, 15 minutes? Of course. Wonderful. We'll take a very quick break here. Be right back. Mark Bauerlein, our very special guest today. Uh, Big question coming right after this break. Right back. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. I met the folks from Shift Real Estate last year on our way to Key West and love their story. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees because they list for a flat fee of $5,000, and that includes photos, MLS listing, online marketing, and the assistance of a full-time realtor. Tell Shift about your home, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more. Shift Real Estate, the common-sense way to sell your home. Visit shift2sell.com because life is expensive enough. 
And we are back with Stretch's picks. You know, Tom, uh, there's a lot of analysis that goes into these picks. Yeah. And uh, I highly recommend betting, of course. I always recommend betting. Yeah, absolutely. So who's winning this thing? The kitties, the pack, the bears, or the purple? None of the above. Those are all the teams in the division. I know that. Well, who's your pick? I'm going with Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. What? It's not a football team. I know, but it's a hell of an HVAC company. They do the most thorough system tune-up in the industry. Sabre is one of the largest Bryant dealers in the state, which means you save. Yep, I'm going with Sabre, Sabre and Bryant, doing whatever it takes to keep you comfortable. It's also the smartest time to call and schedule your furnace tune-up with Sabre. Get the most thorough tune-up in the industry from the people who keep my home comfortable. Oh, uh, one more thing, Tom. What's that? Visit SabreHeating.com. Ladies and gentlemen, remember, all MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener's special square, check out this flash sale on the Giza Dream Sheets. It won't be around for long. There are also deep discounts on all other MyPillow products, too. Enter promo code TOM, T-O-M, or call 800-516-5146 for these great radio specials. Tom here for Continuum Weight and Well-Being. If you were like me and constantly finding yourself in weight loss mode, I have great news. Continuum is here. It's new and they're doing it differently. There are no meal replacements or foods you're required to purchase. They specialize in customizing meal plans for you using all whole nutritious foods. They don't just focus on weight loss. They are upfront with their pricing. And most importantly, Continuum is designed for long-term success. Schedule a free consultation. Find out more today. Simply go to their website, Continuum Weight weightwellbeing.com or call or text them at 952-491-6527 and catch the Continuum team on my podcast on Thursdays, 11.15 a.m. I've learned so much from them, and I know you will too. Continuum Weight and Wellbeing Life Beyond Weight Loss Mode. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Bauerlein, our special guest, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up from Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. Very quickly, Mark, I just have to go back just a little bit because you reminded me of something. There were two, two instances. Um, the first one, of course, is how we've changed the meaning of words. And what I mean by that is the word queer. When I was a child, I had a couple of friends whose parents um, who would say, and I'll never forget this because... That's how I heard. When I first heard queer being used in, in, in reference to sexual orientation, I went, well, what is that? That doesn't make any sense. Because when I heard the word as a child, like somebody's grandmother, well, she's not going to come today. She feels queer. Or, you know, we had a, a, a wrestling announcer locally, the American Wrestling Association, and he would say every time somebody got knocked out, he would say they got knocked onto Queer Street. To feel queer back in those days had nothing to do with sex. It just had, I feel different or odd or something like that. So now if you use the word queer like this man, you know, the, the Heisman Trophy winner, calling somebody, you guys are queer, well, that, he could have just meant you're odd because that's what, the, what the, the word actually means. Is that not right? Yeah. And what the left in this country is very good at is understanding the power of words and mm-hmm. symbols. If they yep. can take a word that is a normal, ordinary, everyday word, and they can load it up 
with yep. political, charged political content, it's an instrument of intimidation and control. And this is this is what, what they've done. I mean, who would have thought? If I said to my liberal colleagues 10 years ago, you guys, you know, in class, pretty soon you're going to have to start being very careful of how you use pronouns. Oh, they would have looked at me and said, oh, what kind of nutcase conservative wing nut stuff is this now? <laughs> you guys are such, you know, you guys are such alarmists. Another conspiracy theory. Uh, and you want to say, well, here we are. You know, and you better be careful with pronouns because if you've got one student in a class who says that you've misgendered or mispronounced me, that student can file a complaint, and Joe Biden put gender identity back into Title IX, which Trump had taken yep. out. Obama just put it in because that you know the left just does it, you know, and, and said, "Go ahead and stop me. I'm just going to do it unless you stop me." And and Republicans, of course, have shown themselves all too spineless uh, again and again to stop. Yes, absolutely. these kinds of things. Trump came in and just took it out. Biden put it right back in. So this is federal law. It's it's a federal regulation, so this can be a Title IX complaint. And universities, which take a lot of federal money, have to be very careful. So they get, they get a gender complaint from one student out of 50 in a class. That has to be taken very seriously. There's an investigation. The teacher is called in. Other witnesses might be called in. The whole process is abusive. I mean, the process is the punishment. Right. Yeah. Even if you yes. come out, you're just like, you know, what usually happens to the professor's book. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do this. I'll try not to do it again. <clears throat> and that professor now is very careful for the rest of his career. The intimidation has worked. It only takes a small number now of people to alter the behavior of the rest of us. If it's the right if it's the right identity group. Right. Making the complaint. So here we are. And it's again. This is power that is intoxicating. That one kid who complained about the misgendering suddenly, you know, it might be an oddball kid, had a hard time. Maybe the kid was abused as, as, as a child right. and has all kinds right. of sexual confusions. You know, it's a damaged person. But suddenly, a very wealthy institution is now on his side. He can make the biggest people on campus respond to his feelings. How exhilarating is that? It's a pleasure that has now been uh, introduced to that person who's going to want to use it, get it again and again. It can be a, it can, you can be drunk on that kind of power. So it's a terrible lesson for life for this for this youth but you know it's very hard for people to give up a satisfaction once once they've gotten a taste of it oh yeah power that the power we've given them by by completely changing words look if you want to use a certain word to describe something new or something different uh, than it used to be that's great but you have to return to the original usage and the original meaning of the word if you're going to go after somebody it's well what we've done what we have shifted the yardstick from 
my intention when I use that word to yes. yep. your feelings about that word. Yep. And my my says, I didn't mean to do well you did. I'm offended. Case closed. Which only puts our public mores in the hands of people who are often a little you know, a little screwy. These hypersensitive Right, people who are reading more into things than you ever intended to to put into that communication, and that's why everyone's scared. I mean, on campus, my liberal professor colleagues, most of whom actually are more or less sensible, moderate people, they're scared. They would never vote Republican. No, but I understand. They're, that. they're nervous. They want to prove that I'm a good person. I'm not a bad. I'm not racist. I'm not sexist. I'm not transphobic. Everyone is is walking on on eggshells now on college campuses. This is actually the case in all the zones of our society that are super liberal. I mean, everyone in Hollywood has to be very careful all the time not to go against the the prevailing dogma. Same thing in Silicon Valley. James Damore just raises questions about male-female differences as a possible explanation for why women are underrepresented in Silicon Valley. Maybe it has to do with something disposition. He just opened that up as a question on an internal uh, communication, mm-hmm. and they all freaked, and the guy got fired. You're fired. But, what? So th- and that tells a lesson. That's a lesson to everyone. You watch yourself, buddy. You know, you know, the, the Orwellian the Orwellian punishment is not really so much about the person who gets punished. It's about the message that it sends to everyone else. Oh, you know, yeah. Joseph Stalin, oh, yeah. uh, Stalin once was asked, you know, about why all the heroes of the revolution had, had to die. I mean, these were great men, and Stalin got rid of them, and Stalin said, in so many words, he says, well, it's only the the manly, principled, honor, honorable ones, those few that you have to kill, the rest can be bought or intimidated. That's, uh, that's the formula. Well, that actually reminds you me know, of a quote I heard. I forget who it was from, but it was some uh, Middle Eastern leader talking about America. Uh, and he said, uh, how do you kill America's heroes when their heroes are SpongeBob and Mickey Mouse? <laughs> How do I kill SpongeBob? They have no actual heroes. And he was 100% right when he said that. Yeah. yeah. When you set about changing a country, you know, the, the left wants to transform the United States. They want to change the country. You've got to first target the things of value in the country from the past. You have to show that, you know, Thomas Jefferson wrote one of the greatest political documents in American world history, but he had slaves. He might have fathered a few children on on one of his slaves. So he ain't so great. Of course, Martin Luther King thought Jefferson was great, but hey, forget about that. He wrote the Declaration of Independence. Forget about that. So you take down the heroes. You take down the the history of the nation. America's story is is uh, you know slavery and Jim Crow. It's uh, killing the Indians. It's uh, putting putting the Japanese Americans in California in in camps during World War II. That's America. 
And you tell that to the young, no wonder only one-third of them consider themselves patriots. So don't ask them to uphold our borders. You know, don't ask them to defend the country. This is not a country worth defending. That that that's where they want. That's where the educators want to get to. Tear down the heroes. Tear down the country, so that the country can be fundamentally, as as Barack Obama said, transformed, radically changed. Not just reformed, but we deep down our most basic norms and expectations forget equality we want equity things like that so the, the, you you look at the going after the undermining of the old role models and the old loyalties they got a reason for that there's a reason it's not truth it's about change mark i have a question this is just my personal, uh, you know, view of things. Progressives now, and again, I'm not a Democrat and I'm not a Republican. I'm pretty much a centrist. I'd like everybody to come to the middle if we could and get along. That would be really great if we could achieve that someday. But I just, I don't understand. Is it just me? My impression of the far left now reminds me a hell of a lot of Nazis. I mean, it's the... That's that social thing, the socialism thing. It's the you will do what I tell you to do, and if you don't, I will destroy you. I mean, how is that well, different than all these regimes throughout the centuries? I I wouldn't say Nazis. I'd say totalitarians. Yeah, totalitarian. Any sort of authoritarian. Is yeah, basically. you're right. They all yeah. operate the same way. Yeah. And and what is a totalitarian? Is say it, it's a one party state, right? It's a one. It's a single morality state. It's anti-pluralism. Right. And what, what and what totalitarianism does? It, it always targets the little spaces within which people can form their own ideas and their own opinions. So one of the things we do is we undermine the family because the family is a resistance to the totalitarian sweep. Mm-hmm. So when the kids are in our government schools, they're ours. They don't belong to the parents. Those kids belong to us. That that's a, that's part of the dismantling of of the family. We're going to go after freedom of association because we don't we don't really want people to form their own little groups where they can talk among themselves and they can they can form you know uh, uh, political political plans. And, and so on. So we're going to go after those, too, through the courts. You're not letting these people in. We're going to go after you. you you're, you're a Christian club on a college campus. Wait a minute. You, you say that you don't want uh, gays. You're a biblical society, but you say you don't want gays who are outspokenly gay to be the leaders of your organization. We're going to take you to court over that. The universities will, will take away your, your, your authorization. So that that's the totalitarian outlook. Yep. We, we refuse any dissidents. I mean, remember when the left prized the dissident voice? Oh, yeah. You know, the, the, My the, 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 the yep. I'm not going sitting in the back of the bus. I'm sitting right here. You know, Rosa Parks. Boy, if you're a conservative who acts that way today, you're going to jail, buddy. We're going to destroy <laughs> you. That's the totalitarian outlook here and it's always it's justified 
by things like you're you're a hater, right? And there's no room for hate. I mean, I, I, you know, the buses here in Alexandria, Virginia, they, they now flash a slogan on, on, you know, if they're heading toward, you know, this subway stop. But then they'll flash the slogan. I, I saw it two days ago. It was either it was either stop hate or no room for hate. On the bus? On on the city bus. <laughs> what are you, it what means are you flashing nothing. this for? I, I really don't need you to give me social messages. That is totalitarianism oh at work. The state now being an ideological conduit, ideological messaging. That that's the totalitarian mindset, and they believe. Well, why not? We're the right people. We're the ones who should be in charge. Mm-hmm. We're, we're the we're, we're the good ones. You guys are evil. You're demons, and we can't let you in. We, we can't allow you to to be in charge. This was the the trauma of Donald Trump. They couldn't believe it. I mean, they they, they you know resist or resist what? Just resist. That was that, that's not a democratic response to an election. They had they couldn't believe it, so they had to fabricate uh, excuses, rationales for it. Russians, Russians abroad, and racists at home. That's how Donald Trump won. They couldn't imagine that it was a democratic result. They, they, it would blow their mind, as, as, as we used to say back in the 60s. What I really don't understand is once, and again, like I said, I'm a very centrist person. I actually had lunch with Donald Trump a couple of years ago. He's nothing like that in, in person. We sat at lunch, had a great time, talked. He was very laid back, the very smart guy. Look, they can say whatever they want about Donald Trump, but he's not a moron. But I sat there no. and listened to him, and, you know, and again, I'm not a Republican. I, I've tried being a Democrat. I've tried being a Republican. I found out that if I mix them together, I like them. When I mix my Democrats and Republicans together in my own brain, I kind of like what I come up with, you know. Yeah. It works for me. But I, I, here's what I never understood about that. When he got elected, it was fixed. It was horrible. It, it, it wasn't real. It was Russia. My God. Then when the new guy gets elected, if you fight that, now you're on the other side. He's the greatest and you're a scumbag. It's like, what? Yeah. It, it's the same argument. Yeah. How did yeah. you? How are you a hero and I'm a scumbag? I don't get it. Well, Donald Trump was the wrong kind of white guy. Right. Joe Biden is the right kind of white guy. And you really start getting beyond politics and into areas of taboo, purity, what is sacred, what is profane. You know, a deep tribal sense of people comes about. And Donald Trump, they didn't, when they talked about Donald Trump, yeah, I would want to say, you're talking about some weird fantasy in your head. You're not talking about a real human being here. I mean, you, you've worked him up into some weird nightmare vision that, that you have that I just can't pin down. I said, if you said, what thing has Donald Trump done that is so demonic, that they would sort of stumble. They couldn't really come up with, with something. They, they, well, well, uh, you know, he, he thinks all Mexicans are rapists. No, what? He doesn't. No, he no doesn't. but this, this is this is what would this is the phantasmatic 
level of their response to Donald Trump. I mean, it was deeply psychopathological because I, I couldn't pin. I mean, if you want to disagree with his policies about tariffs, OK, about borders, about, you know, energy production, right. Right. fine. But that's not what you're doing here. You're you're this is a psychodrama in your own head. And you can't argue with that. Tom, you, you, you can't debate that. It was irrational. I mean, there, there was someone down, down the street from me who had a banner, a huge banner, hanging off of her townhouse. Black banner with six white letters. Resist. And that was it. And it, it was up for yep. four years. And, and you know, you, you, you want to say to this person, get a life. You know, I mean, what, what, do, do, you go, do, you ever, do you ever pray? Do you go to church? Do you take walks through the woods? You're obviously a person who is not at peace. You're not at peace with yourself here. So uh, this is what we are contending with here. And the, the millennials at the election of Trump, I mean, it was a collective tantrum. They, you know, they wanted, they wanted their, their spaces to, to emote and to, to feel safe. I feel safe. This is a college campus. This is one of the safest places on God's earth. What are you talking about? But again, I, I, I see delusion spreading everywhere. And, 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 and the screen is, is a great purveyor of, of those delusions. I mean, the idea that anyone ever took Jussie Smollett seriously. I know. I remember watching it that night on the news. Do you, do you remember that night on the network news? You know, the, 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 the anchor, he's got such that solemn, somber look on his face. Oh, yeah. This horrible thing. And, he, and he's giving the details of, in, in, in downtown Chicago, total leftist world down there, mm-hmm. yep. a black man at two in the morning, two guys grabbed him, put a noose around his head, and said, this is Trump country. And it was, it was, about, it was about 10 degrees, <laughs> 10 degrees outside. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, any, 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 any investigator who heard this would say, say that again? Uh, the, you, you actually think that there were two guys walking around, two Trump guys walking around racist, you know, racist thugs, white guys, just looking in the streets at two in the morning in Chicago to find a lone black man? They, got, they had a noose ready? They're walking around with a noose in their hands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and did you know he kept the noose on when, when he got back? Yeah. When the, he, when had he it found on the for police, the interview. He, oh yeah. Yep. He had it on. Yeah, like an accessory. Whoa, whoa, whoa! And and they loved it. Mm-hmm. Kamala Harris loved it. She talked about lynching his back in America. <sighs> she loved it, and. You want to say? Do you know the damage that this does to the civic sphere in this right. country? I mean, you're, you're making Americans hate one another with this. I think that's the yeah. idea. That's the idea. That is the, that the, we are sowing tension because that's that's where we can that's where we can step in 
and and do the change. That's where we can make laws that that are going to target certain people. You know, upheavals, disruptions, those are opportunities. Those those are something we we need to foment those in order to to make things happen. These are the agents provocateurs figure that we want to provoke. And, you know, Barack Obama, he was constantly pushing these these progressive issues. And he wants to say, can we relax for a minute? Can you slow down? Just give us a rest. You're in such a hurry. There's always so much more to do. Oh, we've made progress, but there's so much more to do. Can we live our lives? Can you leave us alone for a while? I like it. Mark, you got to come back much more often. I love this conversation. I think the whole family uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Mark, Bauer, uh, Mark Bauerlein, B-A-U-E-R-L-E-I-N. Mark Bauerlein, the book is called The Dumbest Generation Grows Up from Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. Mark, thank you so much. We appreciate your time today, sir. Well, thank you. I'm happy to return. Anytime. Please do. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Bauerlein. I tell you something right there. And by the way, I should mention something that uh, just in case people, oh, who is that dope on there? Well, that dope is a professor emeritus of English at Emory University. So he's not exactly a dope, if you know what I mean. He's written several bestsellers. Uh, He's a professor emeritus of English at Emory University, the editor at First Things, where he hosts a podcast twice a week. He's had five books bestsellers. I mean, uh, his, his commentaries and reviews appear in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, not the Times, but the Post, the New York Times as well. This guy is not some far-right nut job. He's somebody who knows what reality is. Well, I don't think you have to be a far-right nut job <laughs> to see what's going on. No, it's crazy. I, as a matter of fact, it kind of amazes me. I just spent some time with a friend of mine who has always voted Democrat. And she does not follow anything in politics whatsoever. Oh, really? Nothing. She doesn't. She, she has no idea what's happening in the real world. Really, she doesn't. She no, doesn't follow I any. She doesn't listen to news programs. I didn't she doesn't. Used she to. just. She just goes about her 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 daily life, and she doesn't have any idea what the Democratic Party is doing. She has no. She had no idea that our southern borders were completely open, and oh, millions did. of people were pouring in. Really? No idea, because she doesn't watch the news. And so, so when I would talk to her about this kind of stuff, she was like, what are you talking about? She really had no clue. God. So, I mean, and she's going to just keep on voting the same people in that are doing this stuff because she just does, she's not engaged with what's happening in the right. world. Well, once right. you get them as kids, you pretty much got them for life. That's the thing. Well, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Here, you know, I agree with Andy. I don't know that we need Tevin or Michael Bryant or Alex. Just the three of us <laughs> totally. alone. You know, it's interesting. I, I mean, I know we, we're going to wrap this up, but uh, just to circle back to what we were talking about a little bit before, you know, having this dossier of your, you know, tweets and Facebook pages and all that kind of stuff that people can go back and yep. decide to cancel you over something you said when you were a teenager. Isn't that kind of like the, the idea behind chat, Snapchat? It was supposed yeah, to disappear. Yep, yep. But the problem is, is people can still screenshot what you said. Yes, yes. they can. So it, you're you're never safe. 
from anything other than just not having social media accounts. No, That's really only the only way, safe way. The only way to do anything on the internet, if you're going to do anything except, say, the most bland, inoffensive things possible, yes. is you I have to operate purely walls. anonymously. You have to. Do you, do. you have to make accounts that have no ties back to your name. You can't give any personal details at all. You just no, have to operate as an anonymous entity because otherwise. So you're like a bot. I mean, not a bot, but. Well, if nobody knows it's you saying it, and you, you can't you can't express your own ideas and thoughts about things, then oh, you're just. Oh, you mean like yeah? If you're. Your real account where all you have to do is just, yeah, say what everyone else says. Then, yeah, that's what they want to reduce you to, yes. And I think the tie line just dropped. So I'm going to wrap it up right now because we're at 56 minutes. Anyway, so I guess we'll all see you tomorrow.